Good morning. I thought this morning that we might talk about conflict because that's so basic that we understand when we are conflicted. The ego is nothing but conflict. And so to be aware of conflict is to know where the darkness lies. And when we know where the darkness lies, it is so easy to step into the light. All of our misery, all of our aches and pains, all the tragedies, the betrayals, the things that happen between parents and children, the things that happen at the office, all the things that happen between nations, the fighting and the sickness and the injustice, the competition, and the winning and the failing, and the short-lived lives is but a speck of dust compared to the brightness of your Father, compared to the brilliance of the peace of God that is your home. It is just the merest speck of dust, the merest whiff of smoke, and the light of God shines it all away, brushes away the dust from your eyes, and you see what you are. And so, and so to know where the darkness lies is to step back into the light, or step up into the light, or sink down into the light. It makes no difference. Because right here, right now, you are surrounded by the light and the peace of God. You are the light and the peace of God. But how blinding that little piece of dust can be. That little shadow. That little disturbance. And therefore you must come to know it well. To see its dimensions. To know how it operates. So that it blinds you no longer. So that you come to know your father so that you come to know your brother and your sister. And how must that be done? There are a thousand ways to do it. At this church, we suggest one or two. They are not the best ways. They are simply adequate ways. There is no best way. And as we've said so often, once an individual comes to see that there is no best way and stops this endless search for truth, this quest for knowledge, then that individual can turn to the simplicity in his or her heart and begin to sink into the ocean of love that God has put around him. And so we must come to know the darkness, small as it may be. And I would like to suggest a simple little exercise. I realize that you have been uh, damaged by exercises and homework and all this stuff. I, uh, how, but the world is set up so that children spend most of their time in school. Just think of the irony of it. <laughs> To be a child and to know the value of play and to know that everything is for fun 
Jordan, everything is for putting in your mouth. <laughs> they just have that little single purpose. And they get a little bit older, and everything is for playing with. The forks on the dining room table, and the, and the glasses, and the sticks outside. The child picks up a stick and sees it as a spear, and sees a tree as a dragon, and so forth. Everything is for playing with. And the baby sees your fingers for playing with, and your hair for, pu for pulling. It's all for fun. And yet in the world, we stick them in school. <laughs> and they're there until they lose it, until they lose the sense of fun. And now you can come out. <laughs> so I know you went through this. I realize that. And so the thought of an assignment of homework and of all that has a uh, tinge of grief to it, bitterness. Very few children learn the skill of going to school, which is not a spiritual skill, it's just a worldly skill, which is to love to learn. Most of us did not learn love to learn, and so school was not a happy place for us to be. But there is another kind of assignment, another kind of work. So in the lesson that was read from the workbook this morning, it suggested that you spend a certain amount of time thinking of your oneness with God. It suggested that you do this simply one time. And then it made a promise as to what would follow, perhaps today, perhaps tomorrow, the lesson said. And so I will make you another promise, that if you will do this exercise diligently, you will come to know better where the little speck of dust lies, where the little shadow hides. And you will automatically begin to experience the peace of God more fully. There isn't anything to do about God, or about peace, or about happiness. It already exists. And so to, to practice no war, to practice no conflict, opens your heart and the light is there. It's already there. But this is an essential first step. And conflict is an extremely useful word. If you can get a sense of being in conflict then you will know when your ego has been engaged. Begin with the presumption that you are always conflicted, except, as I've said before, uh, unless you have a diarrhea attack. Now, if you have a diarrhea attack, you know what to do, and there are no second thoughts. But aside from that, one little thing, you can assume that you are always in conflict. Here's the exercise. Carry a little notebook with you. And a little pencil. Make sure the pencil's sharp. Make sure the pages turn freely. And have it there like the uh, cowboy on the streets of Laredo. Have it there like your six-shooter. And you can just reach into your pocket and pull it out. Have it handy. And simply write down every time you notice 
that you are conflicted. Just write it down. Because you are conflicted about everything. You're conflicted about getting up in the morning. Just as you were conflicted about going to sleep. Because there was all this stuff that hadn't been done. And all these dreams that hadn't been fulfilled. And this nagging moral responsibility in the back of your mind that you owed someone. Isn't that sense familiar? This sort of jumpiness, this edginess as we go to sleep at night or before we go to sleep. And so we don't quite get to bed on time. We putter around doing little things because there's this nagging feeling that something has gone undone. There's some work to do. And it's not right to sleep if you've got work to do. John Wayne used to say that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Um, and so we're conflicted about going to sleep. And we wonder why we grind our teeth. We wonder why we have recurring dreams. We wonder why we toss and turn and why the pillow gets hot and we have to turn it over and over and over. And why the sheets get rumpled and why the little pad. Why do we still have the pad? <laughs> Why the little pad covers the mattress? Why does that get rumpled? And why, when our spouse turns, why have they not learned to turn without dragging all the blankets and the sheets and everything off of our tender right side? What else? Insomnia. Possibly the number one. So all that this fear, do you see, shows up in, in the, uh, in the conflict. The conflict produces the problems. Oversleeping. Perhaps that's the problem. Fear of the dark. Perhaps that's the problem. Probably could list a hundred if you wanted to. Just about going to sleep. Because we went to sleep conflicted. Now, I'm not going to suggest that you try to do the activity without being conflicted. You must, first of all, recognize this sense of when you are conflicted. That is absolutely essential. And just recognizing it, it will begin to disappear. Just knowing it's there, you will automatically do the thing with less conflict. Eventually, after you see the conflict and you see how deeply conflicted you are, then you will be able to stop it and do the activity with sureness and with peace. But in the beginning, it's best to just concentrate on one thing, to just take one step at a time. Our peace is like a flashlight, a child's flashlight whose beam shines only a little ways. And the light of peace illumines only the next step. It does not illumine the future path because there is no future in the peace of God. The peace of God will never desert you and run into the future. It stays in the present. And so you always know what to do now, but you don't know what to do after now. You will be conflicted about what to do after now. But you can see what to do now. 
So a very good habit is to learn to take only one step at a time. And so the simple step that you might take this week is writing down every time you're conflicted so that you begin to see where that shadow lies, that little, that little piece of darkness. Just simply put down, I was conflicted uh, while uh, pouring out the sugar pops or whatever it was. Because of my aversion to noise. <laughs> so you thought it was the sugar, didn't you? <clears throat> have you seen the, uh, I, I assume they still have these kinds of ads on TV, uh, but uh, I can remember ads about bowling. I don't know what they were selling. I guess it was some soft drink or something like that, they, but they were bowling ads. And uh, people would bowl, and, and the people sitting back watching would cheer and everything, and there was lightheartedness and gayness and so forth. And people would make funny little twists with their body as they would bowl. And uh, it was just a wonderful thing. You, you knew that this was one of the truly happy places on this earth, was a bowling alley. <laughs> well, John has asked us about bowling. Uh, would you take us bowling? We said, sure, because we had remembered those ads. And we knew this would be a wonderful evening. <laughs> this is to illustrate the fact that you cannot do anything without conflict, including bowl. <laughs> so we went to the bowling alley. And uh, there were no lanes. I hadn't even thought of that. There were no lanes. It was all taken up by the serious bowlers, the teams. And so there was just this whole line of teams. And some of them had little writings on the back of their backs. And there's something wrong. I, I, of course, it was wrong that they didn't have a lane for us, but uh, <laughs> there was something else wrong. I, I sensed it as soon as I walked in. Yes, there was the sound of the bowling and everything, but it, there was something missing. And you know what was missing? The fun and the laughter and the cheering and the bring us more paps or whatever the thing was. <laughs> that was missing. And I guess it's probably that way in bars too, isn't it? Because they paint bars that way. You know? uh, and here was the actual scene. The children were left to fend for themselves. And so you had like packs of wild dogs. You had these... <laughs> You had these gangs of children running up and down behind the parents. Parents were paying no attention to their children. They were back in the lockers. They were everywhere. They were surrounding the video machines, and they would give you advice that you did not want on playing the video machines. And I watched this, and the people went up there, and they bowled. And the, gosh, these people could bowl. I mean, they really could bowl. They were getting strikes and picking up spares and doing all kinds of things. Not a sound, not a movement, no clapping. Occasionally a loyal spouse would nod. <laughs> now I can tell you why it was not a happy scene, and it was simply because the people were conflicted. How could you not be conflicted if you didn't know what was happening to your child, if you wanted other people to lose so that you could win, 
and so forth and so forth and so forth. Multiple purposes, do you see? And so we have that about everything. We have it about eating, of course. We have it about disciplining our children. We have it about everything. So what you're going to do if you decide to launch back into school, but good school, happy school, is that you'll simply write down any time you notice that you're conflicted. And don't worry if you don't notice if you're conflicted because conflict is the normal state of the ego. This is what we are used to. We are used to everything being conflicted and we don't even notice it. We wouldn't even... We would, well, we, one thing that you do notice for sure is when it begins to leave and you begin to experience the peace of God. That, for sure, you will notice. And then, it's as if the conflict itself will become more painful. And you will not thank me. <laughs> but that's simply a necessary stage. It must become more painful. You must see what you're doing to yourself. What is keeping the light of God from you? Why can't you go through a day in peace? Why can't you have a relationship with another person that doesn't have these little ups and downs? Why do there have to be arguments and fights? Why do there have to be issues? Why does there have to be this speaking about people behind their backs and on and on and on and on? It's so normal. It's so natural. It's just the way things feel. But when you begin to identify the source of it all, simple conflict, the fact that you do not have a single goal yet, your life is not running on a single track. Then the shadows will begin to disappear and you will feel the light of God and you will know that you are loved. And for many of you, you're already experiencing this. There are already blessed moments of this. But perhaps it comes and goes as if by magic. If you will learn when you are conflicted, you will see there is no magic to it. As soon as you set another purpose, then you become conflicted, and then the peace must leave, because there is no force in the peace of God. The root of all conflict is a confusion as to what we are. When we feel what we are, we are not conflicted. It's thinking that we are something else beside what we are that causes the conflict. So always there will seem to be external things that are causing the conflict. But it's because for a moment, for just this lifetime, you've forgotten who you are. What are you? You are peace. And so there is no need for you to try to feel peaceful. If you will simply recognize when you are not peaceful, then you will feel the peace of God. But you will not feel it with your body. It's not some sort of sensation. It's a lightness and a joy and a brightness and an innocence and a softness and a kindness. It is a kind of vision. It is looking through the eyes of peace. It is looking gently, the way you might look at a baby or a young child or a newborn puppy. 
something that you see is wholly innocent. And it makes no difference what the puppy does or what the little child does. You look at it softly. There's a tenderness in your gaze because you are tender. But wish anything else but tenderness and you immediately become conflicted because now your mind shifts to another identity. And so at this point, we have two identities. We have the one we've established in the world and we have the one that we actually are, just as we did at night, just as we had other identities in our dreams last night. And of course, our dreams were conflicted. There was no single purpose running through any dream at all. We went from one thing to another, to another, to another. One purpose after another purpose after another purpose. Why? Because you cannot be yourself and dream. When you are finally yourself and your mind is united, you will no longer dream, and therefore you will no longer be in the dream that is called this world. You will be aware of it, you will be able to help, you will be able to reach out, and you will help, and you will reach out, and you will be available, but you will not be in it. You will not be subject to it. You will not be assaulted and confused by it. And have this hopeless feeling that it's never going to end. You're never going to learn this. No matter how high... How, 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 uh. <laughs> You'll be able to speak. <laughs> what else are you? Within the world, and at this particular stage of learning... You are two things rather than one in the sense of truth, not in the sense of being having a worldly identity and having your spiritual identity, but in the sense that your path lies in being two things and not being alone. So the first thing you are is peace, and the second thing you are is united. And this is something that I was confused about when I first started reading A Course in Miracles. Because there was all of this talk about uniting. And my metaphysical background and everything had taught me that God is one, and I didn't understand why there was this theme in the Course it's because the oneness that is God is a union. It is a completeness. And within the world, we appear to be one set apart. We appear to be one little thing and have one little mind that looks out of teeny little holes, only two. Looks out of two little holes, peers around, quite scared. We have three places to breathe in. There are only two to look out of. I don't know. I just suddenly started. <laughs> I've been telling you the world is insane. Is that, why would you have three places to breathe in and only two to look out? <clears throat> um, and so, in the beginning, there is a lesson that we need to learn, and that is we must unite. We must no longer be alone. We must not allow ourselves to be alone. 
and to be single and to be set apart and to be special, especially good or especially bad. We must unite with something or we will not wake up. It is that simple. You will not wake up. You will not know God. You will not know happiness. You will not know an end to these dreams, one after the other, after the other, after the other. You will not know an end to it until you understand that you are not all there is and there is something else. That's the level. That is kindergarten. That's where we must start. That is home base. If you're feeling alone, if you're feeling different, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling judgmental, it means you think you are alone and single in this solitary body and that you're nothing but this little identity with this little name and this little occupation and you live in this little place that you can't even see when you get a few miles up in the air and you run this little life and someone could look down on the city of Santa Fe and trace your comings and goings and there are only a few little streets that you go down and a few little shops that you shop in and of course this is an unhappy state and so we must unite it feels that way of course there is no need to unite in truth but we are not at the point of truth we are in the world at this time at least we believe we are at least we are dreaming that we are at least we have concocted this cage that seems to surround us and we have the silly notion that by dying we're going to leave the cage we won't any more than by the dream ending last night did you wake up you simply went to another dream one dream to another to another and so you leave the dream through love and we are deathly afraid of love we are afraid that all of our specialness will be swallowed up if we allow ourselves to love and to unite with what do you unite it makes no difference because God is all. Anything that you unite with is perfectly fine. Unite with your child. Unite with some friend who's passed on. Unite with your spouse. Unite with your beloved pet. Unite with your plants. All of these kinds of unitings are difficult unless you are sure that you can unite. Do you have this pure feeling about your child? Do you know what your child is? If you know what your child is, then it's safe to attempt to unite with your child. It is, it is safe to lie down at night and as you fall asleep, to unite with your child and feel your oneness with your child. It is safe when you have a decision to make to first unite with your child, even if your child's off at school or wherever. Then that is safe. Has this loved one who has died, do you feel this loved one's presence? Are they with you all the time? Do you know what they are? Then it is safe to unite with them. And so don't take a walk in the royal. 
without this loved one. Don't consider a problem without this loved one. Don't eat a meal without this loved one. Share it with the loved one. Share it in spirit and happiness. Do you know what your pet is? Can you see the light of God in this faithful dog who sleeps by your feet, who jumps up to guard the door to keep you safe, who forgives you so quickly when you lash out at it, snap at it, or yell at it, or so forth? It doesn't hold it against you that you will only throw the stick 20 times. It doesn't understand it. Why wouldn't you throw the stick forever? It's happy to throw the stick. I'll run after it and I'll bring it. You don't have to do anything. I'll pick up the stick. I'll bring it back. I'll drop it at your feet. Or we can play tug of war. And then you can throw it again. Do you know what your dog is? Can you see the presence of God? If so, then it is safe to unite, even with your pet, even with an animal. Do you know what your spouse is? Do you know what your good friend is? Then it is safe. For many people, it is not safe because they are judging their child, their pet, their friend, their passed-on loved one. or whoever else it may be. And so for most, there isn't this specificity. And that doesn't matter. Because, as we've said before, there is a brotherhood. There is a family. A growing family of those who have laid aside their egos. And this we can call the Christ. And so unite with Jesus. And if that's too embarrassing, if there are too many bad associations with that word, then let the word be God. Or let the word be my guardian angel. Or let the word be my teacher. Or my guide. Or my father. But you know there is something. And you do feel your friend although you forget it for hours and days and weeks. But when you get in trouble and you ask for help and there is no conflict in the asking, you do feel, at least for a second or two, this softness, this gentleness, the presence of your friend. And for many of you, it is good to call this friend Jesus. And Jesus, of course, laid aside his ego and is here to help. And so turn quite specifically to Jesus or anything else that you want to call the love and the peace and the friendship of God because it is there. And it is even more specific than the dog, the child, because it includes it all. And so before you go to sleep, join with Jesus. Don't be afraid of this. Forget the bumper stickers. Forget all the things you've heard on the radio early in the morning and the thing that preempted your favorite TV show on Sunday and all this stuff. 
you don't have to be weighted down and polluted by opinions about all this. Forget the opinions. Forget your opinions. Turn to Christ before you go to sleep. Don't go to sleep by yourself. And if you wake up during the night, remember that your friend is there with you. And don't make your decisions alone. Make them with Christ. Make them with your brother. Because you are in the family. There's only one family. It includes everything. It includes everyone. It has left nothing out. And then you will know no conflict. So we are peace. And we are two. Always have the sense that you are two. It is you, this little something, united with. And then what is the name for your loved one? Whatever it may be. But have that sense of union and oneness. And what else are you? Jesus' statement, love thy neighbor as thyself, is literal and not figurative. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That is the only way you can love your neighbor, is by seeing that your neighbor is you. But there are no gymnastic, mental gymnastics to do about this. It's a growing sense of peace that we have nothing to fear from other people. Our body has something to fear from their bodies. But our heart has nothing to fear from their heart. And so when we judge, we forget that we are our neighbor, and therefore we are immediately in conflict. Conflict, again, is a confusion about what we are. We forgot for a moment what we are. We are peace. We are union. And we are our neighbor. And so to judge another person, to feel critical of another person, is to immediately forget what we are and to do whatever we are doing at the moment in conflict. So you cannot wash the dishes while having a revenge fantasy and not be in conflict. You will be in conflict. And washing the dishes will not be a happy thing for you if you have the revenge fantasy. So stop and look at it and see the little speck of dust, the little shadow that's blinding you to the brilliance of God's love and God's peace. See where it lies. All you have to do is see where it lies and you will step around it because you know the way home. It's in your heart. It rests there. You're programmed to get home. Your whole being yearns for it. You don't have to figure it out. Just don't confuse yourself and don't blind yourself. In, uh, in the counseling sessions that I have and that a lot of you have, We've noticed a phenomenon, haven't we? And that is that as the counseling session goes on, we begin to slip back into our ego. 
you've noticed that at a party, after a while, you begin to slip back into your ego. Even without indulging in the long, meaningful conversations. <laughs> That'll slip you back real fast. I remember I was praying once about, before going to a party. Gail and I were praying together. We were going to this party together. And our guidance was, don't get in, in, into any long, meaningful conversations. Because <laughs> the question was, how can we be at peace at this party? <laughs> I never thought of it, because of course that's the ego ideal, isn't it? The truly intelligent people are the ones who are s standing there, looking each other in the eye, and talking endlessly about what? You feel like... <laughs> So perhaps you've noticed that as you shop for your groceries, that even though you've paused before you went into the store and you set your purpose and you say, my purpose is simply to be at peace in this store, that you began slipping into your ego after a while. And we've noticed this even during the day, haven't we? So many of us can now feel the weight of the day by three or four or five o'clock. And it is true, even in a meeting like this, that we begin to slip into our ego. Now, what I do in a counseling session, whenever I feel this happening, and if it's happening to one of us, it's probably happening to most of us, because we are a family, and we are united, and we are on the path together. And although that's not true of everyone who comes to this church, it's true of such a large number of us that we walk together now. We hold each other's hand. And so our problems are almost synchronized. We seem to, as a congregation, we seem to get depressed at the same time. We have our illnesses at the same time. We have our flare-ups and so forth. And it's so interesting how this sweeps through a congregation at the same time. So even in a meeting like this, There is sort of a, a um, tide, a mental tide that goes up toward God or it sinks down into the ego a little bit. And I've hesitated to do this because I thought maybe it would look strange, but I'm not going to be here in a year, so <laughs> no one will care. And it will definitely help. And so we'll just do this embarrassing thing, if you don't mind, if you won't indulge me. Now, we can't have Elizabeth Kubaros and Stephen Levine in town every week, although we are negotiating with them to see if this is possible. And so we, we do have this problem, as you know, most Sundays, of there being too many people here uh, in the sense that uh, it's getting uncomfortable for some people. And so these little breaks that I'm going to suggest now, well, these might do the trick. <laughs> uh, there's this, there's, uh, there is a limited tolerance for prayer and meditation and so forth. So it's quite possible that as we go along this last year, this our best year, this our final push, that uh, I will ask you to simply stop every once in a while and just join with me in prayer. And let's lift our minds back up because we've slipped just a little bit. And this will be a happy thing, you see. And perhaps it will give you more elbow room for next Sunday to do this. <laughs> and so let's do that now. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes with me. 
And let's become very still. Let's feel the presence of our Father. And feel the settling all around you. Let peace settle all around you. The Christ in you is very still. Very still. The peace of God is all you want. We are one. We're being led home by God. We are here with the members of our family who share our purpose. And so this is a blessed time, a time of truth and peace and stillness. And so in silence now for just a few seconds, let's let God's peace settle all around us and let's wrap ourselves in his love. Okay, now my brothers and sisters, Tell me where you hurt. What problems are you having? What problems are you having? Are you having some difficulties? In your heart, what are the difficulties now you're having? Because the members of your family now are around you. And if you're having a difficulty, it's very likely being shared by others. I had a whole long uh, talk here prepared, and I'm not going to go on with the rest of it. I'll tell you what it was. Uh, you're not only your neighbor, you are the present. That would have been a good segment. <laughs> and um, you are the path to God and so forth. Let's shift gears now. This is our last year. This is our year to work hard to join together, and to become strong. I want you to become teachers of God. I want, at the end of this year, for you to be a teacher of God. For you to be a reliable source of God's truth to other people. Not that you go spouting this or saying this, but that you are a warm, comfortable place, even at the party, even at the store. That people feel easy to come up to you they know you won't judge them. I want you to have this happiness. And most of you are right at that point now. You just have a few more steps to go. And you can open your heart up and let God's light begin to shine. Not that you have to do this in any public way, but just in your daily walk. You carry this aura of gentleness with you, this blessing with you. But we've got work to do, my friends. We've got work to do. And so tell me now, what are your difficulties? This is a Q&A, people. <laughs> yes. A question concerning the breakup of a relationship. Okay, well, this is a problem that, of course, all of us share. We all have this in varying degrees. 
there's been a little falling out. There were some words spoken. Something happened. We thought our friend betrayed us in some way. Or maybe we said something that embarrasses us now. Or maybe there's this thing that's gone on between our spouse. And, uh, and we're living in the house and we're enemies. We're estranged. Or we're estranged from our kid. Or we're estranged from our parents or something like that. There's this thing that's gone on. There's this history and it seems almost like some sort of solid wall. And how can we get through it? There is nothing to do about the ego. Nothing to do about the ego. You leave the ego in place. You leave the difficulty in place. The fallout, the attack, the counterattacks, the embarrassment, the history. You leave it intact. Yes, you look at it, but you don't touch it. And the same thing's true about our individual ego. There is nothing for you to do when you notice that you're agitated or you're bored or you're anxious or you're jealous or you're fearful or you're angry. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Look at it. It's an illusion. If you start battling with it, if you have a slugging match with it, it becomes more real in your mind just as the imaginary playmate does. Can't you see that the child who begins cursing his or her imaginary playmate makes the playmate more real? And so we leave it in place. Begin to understand that you rest in the arms of God. There is a quiet place. Begin to sense that there is a quiet place where you stand. You stand with Christ in peace. And this is an actual, this is a reality. And you can begin to feel that. So another way of putting it is, there's a part of your mind that's already peaceful. And you can kind of get into that part of your mind. You can sidle over there and just sit down in the lap of God. This quiet place in the storm this is what you want to do. So we delay ourselves endlessly in the beginning by fighting battles that we don't have to fight. And one of the things you eventually find is you don't have to do anything when you've lost your peace, when you've gotten angry, when you've gotten sick, when you've gotten depressed, when you've gotten discouraged, except just take a little side step, turn your gaze over at it, Look at it more carefully. Look at it keenly. And look at it peacefully. And you will be in the lap of God. And you can smile gently at what your ego's doing. Because as long as you have an ego, it will get upset. And as long as other people have egos, there will be upsets between other people. And there will be histories. And there will be big problems and there will be little problems. Don't do anything about them. I was telling you about uh, those of you uh, who've been through, uh, been in the military, have heard the wonderful expression, as you were. This is when the drill sergeant has made a mistake and he's told you, uh, <laughs> he's told you, attention, and he meant to say at ease or something like that. And, and you were already at ease. And so he wants you to go back to the way you were, as you were. 
Whenever you see the ego as you were, you go back to the way you were before you saw the ego, and you continue as you were. You have no response to the ego. No response to the ego. It is a shadow. It's an illusion. There's nothing to do about it. What you want to do is walk home. You want to walk towards your father. And that's all you want to do. So if you're yelled at, as you were, go back walking toward God. If you get depressed, as you were, go back walking toward God. If something horrible happens in your life, as best you can, simply turn from it after looking at it, seeing where it is so that you won't get caught up in it. This is very important. You've got to see it or else you will get caught up in it. And then it's just denial. Then you're just kidding yourself to say that it's not there, it's, it's an illusion. You have got to see this an illusion. But the only way to see it is to turn and look at it in peace, from your place of peace. Now, in answer to this question, remember that the ego, Edgar specifically, the higher ego, always takes spiritual truth and translates it into behavior. And so... The ego at this stage, at our stage of learning, is always taking spiritual truth and asking the question, therefore, how am I supposed to behave? Therefore, how, what am I supposed to do? And if that's always irrelevant. There are no right and wrong. You pick, you pick the peaceful thing to do. There's no right way to do it, no magical way to do it, no mystical way to do it. You just pick a peaceful way, a peaceful way, and that's what you do. Because peace is your path home. And so, love doesn't mean you have to hug people. If you want to hug someone and they want you to hug them and they're people who just glow when you hug them, then hug them. But they're people who get terrified if you hug them. And you don't have to speak to people and you don't have to uh, be cheerful. You don't have to do anything external. And often, when there has been this kind of thing happen, as the woman was talking about, in a relationship, it's often easier and better, and you'll make more progress if you don't try to do anything overt. Often, you can see past someone else's ego more easily when you are not around them. Now, the world gasps in horror about that because it doesn't have the appearance of love. You've got to be calling them on the phone and sending them little thank you notes and, and bringing them little bottles of, of wine and doing all this stuff, do you see? And remembering their birthdays and all that, and all of which is fine if it makes you peaceful and it makes you happy and it makes them happy to do that. And you've got to invite them to lunch and you've got to do this and you've got to... No, that's not true. And oftentimes, when there's been this kind of thing, when egos have locked, you want to leave your ego and their ego alone, and they're locked. And so you step back a little bit, and you bless them. You step back physically, but you step up mentally. Whenever you step back physically, be sure to step up mentally. Step up your blessing. Remember them kindly. Remember them often. Surround them in light. Say words of blessing to them. Use imagery. 
Shower them with love in your mind and in your heart. Turn this sorrowful place in your mind, this agitated, festering sore in your mind into a lovely, warm place. You can do this. You cloak them in light over and over in your mind until even that part of your mind begins to bless you, even though there's been this awful history and there's been this attack and counterattack or this betrayal or whatever it is. If you will surround them in light and bless them every time they come to your thought, just to take a few minutes, there will be a transformation inside you. And this dark spot in your mind, this place that's hurting you, will begin to bless you very slowly, very gradually. But keep working at it. And then, if it feels peaceful to make some gesture, of course make the gesture. But if it doesn't feel peaceful, that's not what you're being asked to do. You're not being asked to do anything in the world. Christ is not in the world. Christ is in place of the world. So Christ is in your heart and in your mind. But Christ is not in a particular action. A question concerning how to deal with the feeling of being used. Okay, let's... uh, Let's close our eyes just for a minute, and then I'll answer that question. Let's just join here just for a minute, and let's let's look in our hearts and see. You might see your answer to this. There are a thousand answers to these questions, as you know. A thousand ways of wording the truth. And so here is your sister who is in pain, and we simply want to look in our heart and see what one peaceful answer might be to this kind of question. So let's do that together now. And so what do you do about this feeling? What do you do? Someone stand up and tell us, what do you do about this feeling? It hurts. It goes on. Yes. You release it. You let it go. How many times do you let it go? A hundred? And then you stop? And then you take it back? A thousand? And then you take it back? A thousand times a thousand? You make the decision to out-endure your ego. This is coming from your ego, and you make one simple decision. No matter how many times my ego presents me with this emotion, I will see where it's coming from, and I will let it go, and I will turn to the light and the peace of God. I do not, I am not, uh, I never know how to start that sentence. I say it so many times. I am fully aware is one way to start. <laughs> I am not trying to kid you. Ah, that's a good way. I am not trying to kid you. <laughs> I'm not crying, trying to kid you into thinking that this doesn't take work. It takes enormous effort. Enormous effort. People think that there's going to be some magical solution to this kind of thing. The sickness about what's happened between you and another friend. There is no magical solution. I'm not saying it can't happen. 
because occasionally there is a breakthrough that just heals it all. It's not a realistic goal. Simply say, there's work to be done. It's a happy work. My ego is telling me something about my brother, my sister, and it's not true, and I wish to see the truth. So I will turn away from the lie, this gentle little lie, this little way of the world, and I will unite with God. I will fill myself with peace. I will not fight the feeling. I will not try to get rid of the feeling. I will not try to make the sickness in my stomach go away. I will not try to make the anger about what the person did go away. I will have no fight, no dealing, no interest with the ego. I am not interested in the ego. I'm interested in walking home. And so no matter how many times my ego presents me with this, I will simply dismiss it. I will turn from it. I will interrupt the thought. That's all. Just interrupt the thought and go back to what I know. Okay, let's pause one more time. Okay, my friends, this service is uh, just about over. Let me summarize like this. The work before us is indeed a happy work. Let us be a happy learner. Don't be afraid to laugh. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to be relaxed. People are here to enjoy. The sights and the sounds are here to enjoy because you can see the presence of God shining through them. You are closer to home now than you've been. We have come a ways together. There's just a little bit further to go. Just a little bit further. Renew the resolve in your heart. See how simple the path is. Don't you be discouraged, even if your ego is. Because what is the grounds of the discouragement? If it were difficult in the sense that it was complicated, if we didn't know what to do, then we could be discouraged. But we know what to do. What do we do? We are just at peace. We're as gentle and as kind as we can be. We turn our thought to God as often as we can. We bless even those who appear to be our enemies. We stop and we fill up with God's gentleness and peace. We walk gently. That's all there is to it. If it were more complicated than that, we could be discouraged. We could be discouraged if we were alone, if we had to do this all by ourselves. My friends, you are not alone in this. You are not alone. There is someone with you as you sleep, as you drive home. There's someone with you even during your worst mistake, even though you've just unjustly attacked someone else. There's someone whose arms are around you, who comforts you and tells you, yes, a little mistake, but let's not dwell on it. 